Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ruth, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Yesterday, we had a, a little family thing, and, uh, and so we were, we were headed out to my dad's house, and uh, Jam called and said she was getting off work, and could we wait for her? She'd drive with us. And we said, yeah, and I know, I know my daughter. I love her to death, and I knew she was going to get there at the last minute, and then I know she's going to want to, she's been working. She's going to want to grab something from the refrigerator to eat. She's going to use the bathroom. And I just knew there's going to be chaos, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm in for it. I'm, I know we're going to be late, and I've already owned it. And I'm just like, I'm in the, I'm in the mode. I'm going, to, I'm going to be patient with my daughter because I love her. And all those things happened. Um, she was late. She, bathroom, kitchen. We're getting in the car. She has a coffee from work that she's heated up, and she sets it on the divider between the driver's seat and passenger seat, um, and she gets into the back seat. Well, my wife had already set her purse in the car, and so as she was getting in, she pulled her purse to put it down at her feet. The purse strap was around the coffee, so then we had flying coffee, and I didn't freak out. I, I just got out of the car, started looking for paper towels. It's going to be okay. We're going to be later. It's all right. And I, we cleaned things up, and we got in the car. And Dad, are you mad? I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Right? Love, love is... Now, <laughs> I tell you that story because I come out as the hero there, but I can tell you 50 stories where I'm in the car going... Come on, you've got to be kidding me. Right, dads, you know this, right? It's just a, some of your mom, no, it's my husband, whatever. I just hate that. But love is patient. And I, I love that we can just say that because the reality is we live in a world that is hurting, in a world that is just messed up. And the way that they see Jesus is when we continue to be patient with them. When we continue to circle back. When we continue to say, no, that didn't, yeah, you know, that was hard, but I'm not ending the relationship here. It's patient. Second in here, we see that love is kind. Um, And what stands out to Boaz is Ruth's kindness. And remember last week, we looked at this word, this hesed word, and it means this, uh, in, when it's talking about God, it's his loyal love towards us. When it's kindness that we show others, it's loving kindness that we, that we show that glorifies God. It magnifies him. We're trying to show God's love to other people. And then love is pure. And I want to I wanna celebrate. I want to um, uphold this couple for, for, for being pure for doing the right thing. And in the verses that I read from 1 Corinthians that are in your notes, just a few things that stood out to me as I thought about this threshing floor. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Oh, what, what, a, what a situation where somebody could have insisted on their own way. In fact, Naomi basically says, do what he says. Let him insist. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings. Real love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoings. Again, the ends don't justify the means. There's something about the process 
that makes the finished product better. It rejoices with the truth. Now, another phrase here, and I don't have a note for it, but I just want you to look at it there, and maybe you can highlight it or circle it. Believes all things. Here's a, a reality is that we, we sometimes as married couples or friends, we might have a disagreement, a little argument maybe. Now, I, I remember one time, and it was nobody here, and I shouldn't tell these stories, but we were at dinner at somebody's house, and the, the wife was a very frugal uh, coupon clipper, you know, double coupon things, and you'd open up her cupboard, and she'd have like all this stuff that she got for like a penny, you know, she was really proud of it. And so we were having Mexican food, and she got out a salsa that she had gotten for free. You know, she bought, I don't know what else. But anyway, it was free salsa. And her husband at the dinner table with the pastor there said, uh, you know I don't like that salsa. Awkward, awkward. You're trying to look at the ceiling, you know. But then he said, you did that on purpose. Now, how many times do we, when we're fighting with our spouse, not just point out the thing, but try to give the intent that we've decided was there? And believes all things. Look, if somebody is in sin and you call out that sin, the Bible says do not judge. No, that's not the problem. The judging is when you start to make up the intent. When you label, when you give purpose behind it, that's not there for you to decide. Love believes all things. Another thing could have been he could have just laughed and said, oh, you forgot. I hate this salsa. No, I don't know. I don't know what it would have been, right? But, but we don't have to put intent in there. And so I, I just, I love that. And I think Boaz might have got it. I think he might have gone, what is Ruth think? Oh, Naomi. I know it. Those ladies have gotten together. Love is not self-seeking. Real love uh, in a relationship is wanting the best for the other person. Uh, Real love isn't somebody uh, having you, um, helping you achieve your dreams, but real love is helping each other achieve what God has called each other to do. Um, love is uh, just giving somebody else the opportunity to shine, and maybe it's not your moment. Love is, is, it's not about me. It's about what God is calling us to do or calling you to do, and love never ends. Our mission statement at Hillsborough First Baptist Church, I know we say it a lot. We want to make sure that we're familiar with it, um, that we seek to be a multi-generational church. And, you know, just so you know, I say that, and Rich says that, and yes, everybody hears Dave and Rich saying, we need more young people here. But the reason, you know, honestly, if we wanted our mission statement just to be young people, we could say we seek to be a church with young people. We didn't say that. We said multi-generational because we want both generations to hear that they matter. So it's not just about the young generation Um, which I feel like we need to grow in, but it's also about reminding the older generation we're not trying to kick them out. And we, so we say that over and over again, and we say that we're intentionally trying to reach individuals and families in our community, and we do that by growing in our love for God. And and I just want to say as a church, you guys are just awesome at that. 
I mean, there's just so many opportunities here to hear teaching and discipleship and Bible studies. And you guys love, you guys love, 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 love that. You guys, oh, Dave, we appreciate your preaching. We appreciate, we love growing in God's love. And the reason for growing in God's love is so that we can pour that out on other people. And that's where sometimes we struggle. And I confess, I've struggled with it. You know, it's easy to be the pastor, and I've got 120, 150 people that just want me to be their pastor. It's easy not to worry about those other people out there that don't want me to be their pastor yet. And we come up with different ways. We're trying to love on Evergreen, and we try to do stuff, you know, with uh, the city, and we, we do different things, but it, it's hard to love other people. Pouring your love out on other people is difficult. And I confess, I struggle sometimes to do that. And so Janine and I have chosen some things recently. We're trying to get ourselves more in the community. And I, I just want to say, I just thought, you know, I, superhero complex that we would show up. Hey, we're here to help. And everybody would be like, yay. And usually we show up and they're like, ah. And uh, one person, I mean, we were an organization, we were helping and, and, uh, and they basically fell off the map. And so our, our uh, leader was talking with me. I said, just so you know, I have that effect on people. Um, but, but pouring out our love on other people is hard. And so listen, grow in your love for God, grow in your love for one another, but we got to get to that point where we're sharing it with other people so that we can intentionally make disciples. Um, and I just, I just think that's a, a, just a great reminder. So why does this matter? Why does this matter? You know, uh, there's another love story in the Bible and it's the love of God for his people. And God created the heavens and the earth, and he set Adam and Eve in the garden, and he puts them in just this right place, and his love for them is that he wants them to shine, and he, he really makes them co-rulers with him. Let's, let's rule this thing that, that I've created. Let's do it together. Let's grow it. Let's expand it. Let's get to know one another. Let's be in relationship one, with one another. And Adam and Eve basically decide that they want to do it on their own. And you remember, and in the story, you have to read it. God says, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. And so Adam and Eve eat of the tree. And I'm a literalist. I'm black and white. They They ate the fruit. And you're just looking at it. How long is it going to take? When's the lightning bolt coming? doesn't happen. And they realize they're naked and they go and hide. And God comes looking for them. Listen, did God know they ate the fruit? Yeah, absolutely. Where are you? Why are you hiding? God's love pursues the object that it loves. And you know, we, we read that Genesis 3 and, and the, the account where God's dealing with Adam and Eve and the serpent, and he looks at Adam and Eve who have sinned, who, who are deserving God's curse. And you know, if you read that, God doesn't curse Adam and Eve. He curses the ground. They didn't do anything. And God casts them out of the garden And he says, don't worry, I've got a plan for this whole thing. 
Now it's a long plan. And it's drawn out. But when Jesus comes, we see God coming into the garden again, pursuing His creation. And He comes and He takes the curse. He pays the price so that you and I might be called children of God. Now, I want, I want you to know right now, God didn't do it because you looked good or smelled good. He didn't, look, he didn't look at you and go, oh, that'd be a good person for my team. That'd be a good quarterback. That'd be a good running back. That'd be a good wide receiver. Oh, that person's got some weight. He might be a good player. No, he looked at you and said, there is nothing I need except that I love you. And he invites us back into relationship with him. So on your notes there, we're reminded that we've all rejected God's love. I mean, I I can still remember, Janine remembers it differently, but I can remember clearly being broken up with that Saturday morning. She was trying to communicate apparently something else. I was mad. After the egging, I took a couple days off work. And I went back home, hang out with my friends, And I told the story over and over and over again. This girl dumped me. You know, we're done. We're through. I'm moving on. Came back in town. My pastor says, hey, Dave, let's go get get, uh, something to eat, which is totally normal for us. We get together. And he goes, "Uh, hey, I really think Janine's kind of special. Apparently, you haven't heard the news. No, I've heard the news. I don't think it's time to give up on this yet. And I remember thinking, this guy's nuts. Side note, it was the third time. Okay, I'm just saying. But obviously the story ends differently. Look, we've all rejected God. We've all said, I don't want you in this part of my life. I I want you here, but I don't want you here, or I don't want this. I just, I want to define the relationship in my terms. I want to control it. Let me be me. God says, no, I want all of you. I want every part of your life. We've rejected him. We've all run from God's presence. Adam and Eve were were cut off. They were sent out, but we see others in the story who are, it just seems like they're running from God. Jonah, we're going to look at him later. Uh, we just have these stories of people just like doing everything they can to get away from God. And, and here, if we're honest, we've all had periods of time where we've run from God. And we've all encountered the ruin that that brings. Remember our list of what happens in the book of Judges, that we, we, we go back to doing the wrong thing again. We relapse. And because of that, we encounter God's ruin, that 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 moment when things just get bad and it's not until we cry out to God and we repent that we're restored and that restoration brings rest. And we looked at those cycles and they're true of our life. And if we're honest, we've all experienced moments or times or areas where we've experienced ruin. Some in this room have repented and they've said, I'm done running from God. I, I, I recognize that I have sinned. In our reading, I believe it was from this morning from Nehemiah, there's just this great time with the people in Nehemiah where they're just repenting before God. And it says they, conf- they, they would read the law for a little while and the people are like, yep, we did that one. Yep, we are guilty of that. God, we-. And they repented. 
And you know what? We're uncomfortable with this, but they don't only repented of their own sins, but they went ahead and brought their parents into it too. And my parents did it, and my father and my grandfather, we've all been doing this. And you know what? Sometimes we really want to think that we have our act together, that we've, we grew up in the church and that no sin has touched us and that we're, we're walking on holy ground. And, and you know what? I don't care how long you've been around or how much you got this figured out. We all need to go to our knees and repent. Our attitudes, our labeling, our hearts, our hardness. And, and, and so we come to this point of repentance. And for some people, that might just be the repentance of saying, you know what, I'm, God, I've been, I've been rejecting you. I've been running from you. And I repent of that. I need you in my life. Then we return. And we're restored. And I just want to remind you that that sanctification process is that he has given you new life. The old is gone. The new has come. We're restored. Now, the rest part is not that we don't have to do anything anymore, but now we are not just in this grossness of the old sin nature, but we've been restored and we're being restored into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So some application and action here. You know, just going back to Naomi, and I just I think there's an application point here. There's, there's never a good reason to run ahead of God. And I put that on my notes. I'm looking at Naomi and I go, this will be a good application point. People, we need to hear this, right? It's never a good reason to run ahead of God. It's so easy to write these things. But then I look at my own life and any issue that I have, any problem that I have, any struggle that I am even currently going through, I can trace back to a time when I ran before God. And they could be good things going to get my, my doctorate. I just, I, I, I look back at that and I was in a place and I made a decision. I always wanted to do it. I went and did it and, and uh, somebody said they were going to help me with it. And, and, but I didn't, I didn't think through the finances. I didn't think through all that. And I, I wake up every morning and I pray, God, I just, you know, if you could, if you could take away those, those school loans, that would be such a blessing to me. And I pray that, but then I also realize, how did you get here, Dave? Yeah, God, let's not talk about that. We're in prayer now, Jesus. <laughs> Praying for a miracle here. And God says, man, you, when you run ahead of me, David, when you run ahead of me, you run out of my protection. Now, we don't completely run out of God's protection, but I still need to repent. Does God still love me? Absolutely. Can I still pray for a miracle? Absolutely. But every time I pray for a miracle... I'm also reminded that I needed to repent. It wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a wrong thing. Right? But we, we run ahead of God. Maybe you pray for something. Oh, God, give me this house. Give me this house. And, and you look at your finances. You can't do it. And all of a sudden you go, God's answered the prayer. No, hold on. So there's so many things that we do. We run ahead of God. And it, it just never leads to a good thing. Second, uh, the ends don't justify the means. What is absolutely amazing in this story is the character of Ruth and Boaz. Now, a little uh, foreshadowing of, of next week's sermon. The Hebrew Old Testament is in a different order than our English Bibles. It's called the Tanakh. And Ruth falls into a different category 
than we would normally put it in in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, there's some debate about this, but most Hebrew scholars place Ruth after Proverbs. And so you've just read about the Proverbs 31, the wife of noble character. And Boaz looks at Ruth and says, you are a wife, or you are a woman of noble character. Who's this Proverbs 31 woman? At least in some part, it's Ruth. Now, I was in a class one time, I've told the story before, it's one of my favorite, I was in Hebrew class. And we had a, a woman teacher, uh, she was a grad student, we were in between uh, profs there, and she was teaching Hebrew. And um, at some point in time, one of the guys in the classroom was saying stupid things. I remember being embarrassed, I was married, he was single. And I'm just like going, oh my goodness, please shut up. And finally, the prof says to the class and pointing at this, this guy, he says, how is it that you aren't married? You know? And he says in pride, he looks at her and he says, I haven't found the Proverbs 31 woman yet. And he says to her, how come you're not married? And I'll never forget her answer. She was right on top of it. She looks at him and says, because I haven't found a Proverbs 1 through 30 man yet. (laughs) So in Ruth, we have a Proverbs 31 woman, and we have a Proverbs 1 through 30 man. We have wisdom. We're going to look at that next week. Character matters, folks. What is attractive about Ruth? I don't know what she looked like. I don't know what the perfume she was wearing that night. But what Boaz is in love with is her character, who she is as a woman. And we, have, we are missing in our culture what true beauty is. It's in who a person is. It's how God has gifted them. It's how God has designed them. It's how God has called them and saved them and sanctified them. And I'm not just talking about women. I'm talking about men and women. Who we are in Christ is where our beauty lies. And as long as you buy off on the world's lies, that beauty lies somewhere else, you will never find love. And you will never feel loved. Because love comes from who God has designed us to be. And finally, uh, it's never too late to repent and return to God. Uh, If you're here this morning and your relationship with God is still broken, it's my prayer, it's my hope that that relationship with God would be restored because if you look at this love story, we can go, wow, this is a great love story, but it's just a piece of God's love story for his creation, and he is calling you into relationship with him. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for this morning, and uh, thank you for a difficult text. Um, As fun as it is to study these things for me, um, it's not always fun to talk about them in front of a group. But I thank you for being with us this morning and for hearing my prayer. And God, I pray that we would seek you and know your love in a deep way. I pray that we would be men and women of character. And I pray that you would be glorified uh, in our actions. And especially as a church, as we talked about how we pour out love on other people in an appropriate way. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.